My name's Nick. I'm the owner of Kevlar Joe's and I'm the roaster. I'm an Air Force Security Forces veteran, a dad to three wild boys, and a husband to my wife, Crystal, and a coffee enthusiast. From a family in a small town in Missouri, we started with the simple idea of crafting a perfectly bold cup of coffee. Inspired by wellness and countless pots of stale coffee while deployed, we wanted to craft a bold, clean, and smooth coffee. So we did. And we realized we wanted to share this coffee with our friends. Lord knows we could all use a good cup of coffee right about now. From the farm to your coffee cup, there's nothing like a good, well-crafted, and bold cup of coffee. No matter what time of the day, it's there to pick you up, motivate you, and relax you. We hope you enjoy our coffee. Be bold, be humble, be Kevlar. And you can find Kevlar Joe's Coffee Company anytime you want at www.kevlarjoe.com. And for listeners of the Dig Bible Podcast, use the code, all caps, DIG20, whenever you're checking out to get a 20% off discount. Enjoy. This is Ryan Peterson, and you are listening to the Dig Bible Podcast. We should read our Bible as men digging for buried treasure. The Bible is the world's most popular enigma. Its secrets lost to cultures beneath the sands of time. Or is it? It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. God wants you to seek, to read his word, to to look for that knowledge. He wants you to do that. Man, the people at Nicaea, they like chopped out 80 books of the Bible. We need to bring those back. More bad guys in this thing than a Bruce Willis. Oh, yeah. Let's back it up here. I I love the intro to your show because it's exactly right. There's these nuggets of gold in his word. As you guys always say in the show, you you gotta dig it. Dig it. Show us your nuggets. God, our creator, lies outside of time, space, and matter. No, I feel like God's be like, hello, McFly. You ain't got it so far, then. There are secret societies think that they are the descendants of the giant. I mean, isn't, isn't this exciting? I mean, you read it, it's like, wow. The Nephilology Roundtable. But these angels were taken to help immediately. Do not pass gold, do not collect $200. You're out of the game. Dirty hands means clean theology. Can you dig it? Well, hello, everybody. A little bit different this week. Uh, We're down Ben and Justin. Uh, Not normally the way we like to do things. I like having people here bouncing ideas back and forth. Um, But we're going to kind of give this a try, see how it goes, and then we'll kind of go from there. But really, today is really just uh, furthering our Acts Bible study, um, starting at Acts 21 and, and, and really delving into everything that Paul went through and 
kind of the application of um, how he dealt with non-believers and how he continued, you know, uh, the mission, the Great Commission, and and the mission that the Lord sent him on. So uh, I'll start out in prayer here. Dear Lord, thank you for everything you've given us. Just please continue to bless us as you have. You've given us so much, so much that we don't deserve, but yet we thank you for every blessing. Just please continue that blessing. Please help this reach the one person it needs to reach. Let them have discernment. Let us have discernment. Please help whoever needs to hear this message. Hear it. In your name we pray. Amen. So Acts 21, um, kind of going across, uh, you know, continuing on one of Paul's uh, missionary journeys here, kind of interesting, but Paul sails for Phoenicia, and I'll kind of go over a little bit of a rundown of the basic stuff that's happening as we go along, but I'll, and I'll highlight some points as we go, but uh, initially, you know, Paul's sailing for Phoenicia, and uh, he lands in Tyre uh, in, the, in Syria, and he finds local believers, which I think is kind of cool already because you're seeing that the word of God is, is already spreading rampant. It's, it's, it's running all over, you know, it's that truth, you know, when we have that truth inside of us, we are so excited. So the, the, the feeling that we know that we're saved and these people feel that way and they're going and they're spreading it around. I think it's just an amazing thing, but these believers prophesy right away that he should not return to Jerusalem. So we'll get to this a little more in a minute. After a week, he leaves. Um, but on the way to the ship, the entire congregation, all the believers of that, that part of Tyre there, come out of the city and they pray with Paul on the shore. This is men, women, and children. It's pretty pretty cool. They're kind of, you know, praying him safety on his way. Uh, next step is a... Uh, uh, Tomaeus, where he was greeted by more believers. I mean, this has got to be, you know, encouraging for Paul because he's seeing the fruits of his labor. He's seeing, you know, that that what God's done through him, and he's getting that evidence coming right back to him. And that is just such a, it's got to be such a reinforcement when you know the work that you've done, you know, for God is paying off. Uh, you know, if we can go back to look at Jeremiah, where. Jeremiah half the time thought, you know, it was fruitless. He, you know, as the weeping prophet always thought like, listen, I'm trying to tell you guys, but no one's listening. And it's it's just interesting to see here. Paul gets that affirmation, which is a great thing. And, and it helps all of us, too. when we see, you know, even when you work at your job and, and you see that uh, whatever you're doing is successful and carrying on. It's just it's a good feeling to know that what you're doing is meaningful and, and is, it is bearing fruit. Um, when he was there, he actually stayed with, uh, I'm sorry, when he, he left and went to uh, Caesarea and stayed with Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the original, uh, seven that were chosen to distribute food. If you remember back uh, earlier in Acts, he had four unmarried daughters with the gift of prophecy. And I think that's interesting when you see the gift of prophecy. So, the way I read this and the way that I see it is that prophecy is not something that everybody has the ability to do. You know, it's not something that just, oh, you know, we are, you know, all able to predict the future and tell exactly what is going to happen. And, you know, 
it just doesn't work that way. I think it is a gift. I think God gave it to certain people, especially the prophets. And we see here later, it says several days later, Agabus, a prophet, um, came and he took Paul's belt and bound himself up and said, the Holy Spirit declares, so shall the owner of this belt be bound by Jewish leaders in Jerusalem and be turned over to Gentiles. And again, everyone begs him not to return to Jerusalem. I, I just, you see this reoccurring theme. So the the people who have this uh, this foresight, right, the prophecy to know what's going to happen, and they're trying to stop him. But what Paul said here was is is interesting. He says, "What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm already not only to be in, pr- or I am not." I'm sorry, for I am ready not only to be in prison, but to even die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. And if we remember, if we go back to chapter 20, it says, uh, 20, 22, it says, And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish the course and ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So if you go to the, that was the ESV, if you go to the Lexingham English Bible, it says, it uses the word, instead of uh, constrained by the Spirit, says bound by the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has convicted him to go back to Jerusalem, but yet we see these prophets, uh, people who, who have the gift of prophecy telling him not to go. And it, it really makes you wonder, when they have that ability to see, potentially they can see what's going to happen, but they don't necessarily know what's right or wrong as far as like, we all know that that if the Spirit's telling Paul to go there, he's going to go there. That's what he's supposed to do. But people, for selfish reasons or whatever, because they see that something bad's going to happen to Paul, they don't want him to go. So not only, they're, I guess they're not looking at the same way, like, you know, let the Lord's will be done. They're, they're looking at it from a more uh, humanistic, um, worldly perspective. So just an interesting way of, of kind of seeing that. It's, it's, it's important to know that Paul knew what was going to happen, you know. Even all those people who were prophesying and, and trying to stop him, but it wasn't, you know, in God's plan for that to happen. Uh, and you got to think about this. And, and it says, you know, multiple times throughout the gospel, Jesus says, you will suffer in my name. You know, you will suffer for my name. And we all we also um, sometimes believe that we know what's best, better than what God knows for us. You know, or we think, well, if we do this, things will be a little bit easier. If we do this, things will be, you know, just not as difficult for us. So even though Paul knew things were going to be tough, he still followed what what God wanted him to do. He said he knew that imprisonment and afflictions awaited him. I mean, that's. When he knows that's coming and he walks into it head on because that's what he knows God wants him to do. I mean, that's a that's a powerful message for all of us as believers. Um, 
when Paul leaves for Jerusalem and he arrives, he's welcomed by believers like he seems to be in every city. So we're starting to see that there are believers. And if this goes back to that, we talked about it before, the original, you know, Pentecost, when you have Pentecost happen, the lost tribes of Israel, when we talk about this, were spread out all over the world, but they come back to Jerusalem at the time of those festivals. So they come back for Pentecost and when that happens, you know, that's when they all spoke in tongues. And whether you believe that's the, they literally spoke in another language or the people were able to interpret what they were saying. However, regardless of what you believe, either way, all those people heard that in their native tongue. And they were able to take that back to all these different parts of the world. So this, this information that they received, this, this, the gospel, the truth, God used that first, well, not the first, but God used that uh, that Pentecost to to basically be his first uh, people that were his missionaries that went out from there after they heard the word from the apostles. So I think that's a important point too that he's seeing these believers all over the world already, and they're not necessarily always the ones that you know that he've already preached to, but they're they're people that were. All over the the known world at that time. Uh, while he's in Jerusalem, he meets with James and the elders in Jerusalem and told them what the Lord accomplished with the Gentiles. And they all celebrated. They all praised. That's amazing. But um, then they were also concerned. Uh, apparently rumors had been spreading and things of that nature. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands? And this is chapter 21, verses 21 to 25. You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews who have believed. They are zealous for the law, and they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What is then to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. These men... Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in obedience of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent them a letter with our judgment and they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and meat that has been uh, from uh, animals that have been strangled and from sexual immorality. So pretty interesting when you see that they're still showing a very big distinction between Jewish believers and Gentile believers. Some of that I think is is tradition. Some of that is, you know, following the law, which obviously is was a huge part of the Jewish culture. And you see that they differentiate themselves from the Gentiles as even though they're both believers, they acknowledge they're believers. They acknowledge they have the Holy Spirit, but they don't hold them to the same religious standards. So uh, Paul went to perform... Um, 
you know, this purification ritual. It's kind of interesting. I'd, I'd actually like to look into that more to see more how those things were performed. Uh, I think it was a seven-day ritual is what it had said. Uh, it takes a lot of time to purify yourself. Um, while they were in the temple, there were some Jews from the province of Asia who started a riot, uh, kind of an uproar with the exact rumors the elders had been worried about claiming Paul and claiming Paul had brought a Gentile in the temple. They had seen him with a Gentile earlier in the day and they assumed that he had took him into the temple. So they instantly accused him of that. Uh, it got to the point where it got so bad that the, the Romans actually came back or came into the, the temple there because the, riot throughout that part of Jerusalem was so bad they they came in and that's when they stopped beating Paul Paul was getting beat up again I don't know how many times Paul's gotten beat up but he's gotten beat up a lot Paul has shown time and time again he was not afraid of conflict he was not afraid of beatings he was not afraid of harassment he knew what he was doing was God's will I and that's, I think, one of the main things that we need to take from Paul is that in God's name, we're going to suffer. In God's name, doing what we know is right, not what's easy, but what we know is right, is sometimes extremely difficult. Uh, sometimes talking to individual people, talking to to friends or family that that may not have the same belief system trying to explain you know and and as we always say you know that first peter three fifteen, always be able to explain a reason for the hope you have but do so with gentleness and respect it's so important that we're able to show what we believe our strength in that belief and and be able to take life head on even when we know there's we know there's going to be struggles we know there's going to be difficulties it's just going to be one of those things that's going to be part of our lives as christians as christians we're always under attack whether it's from uh it can be from other people it can be from um it can be from those uh, principalities those powers in an unseen realm um and that's why we have to put that spiritual armor of god in like it says in ephesians 6 so just just very important. Um, Paul was taken to the fortress, the Roman fortress there uh, by Jerusalem, and he actually talked to the the guard in Greek, and then he addressed the people in Aramaic. I mean, the guy obviously was pretty smart. He was pretty well learned. I think that that's really interesting, though, and I'm going to get into that in just a second. But when Paul talked to the people, in Paul's speech, he kind of breaks it down. And Paul does this really well. He's one of those, just a phenomenal communicator. He must have kind of had a electric personality because he usually, he, he kind of follows a pattern in a way. He always tries to identify with the people that he's around. He tries to to make them seem not so different than him. You know, he identifies with them. Then he explains his training and knowledge of the of the Jewish laws and customs. I mean, he he was a Pharisee. His parents or his his father was a Pharisee. Like this is this is where, you know, he was raised. He was the one that held the coats at the stoning of Stephen. He he believed in those things initially. And then he tells 
about how he, and I love this, and I think it's really important that we, we see this wording, but he explains how he persecuted followers of the way. Now, the way, you know, just is a, a way that he's describing Jesus. And, you know, we remember Jesus saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And truly, no one gets to the Father except through him. So when he's saying the followers of the way, it's not one of the ways, it's not some of the ways. This is the only way. And I think it's, I think it's really cool how he words that, and he uses that multiple times. Followers of the way. Um, and he later says that, you know, he is a follower of the way. So I find that pretty cool. With so much division in the body of Christ, it's important to come to one accord when you can. That's why most denominations agree that the Better Insurance Agency is the right choice for your insurance needs. At the Better Insurance Agency, we care enough about your home and auto insurance to push through doctrinal disputes. Because when it comes to the gift of good coverage, there's no cessation here. So head to the www.thebetterquote.com to begin switching to the Better Insurance Agency, currently available only in Virginia and Tennessee. He tells of his uh, conversion on the road to Damascus. Now, we've all heard that story, um, and it and and actually, I think it's pretty cool because as you go through this later part of Acts, you'll see him uh, tell this to the people. Then he'll tell this to uh, I think it's uh, Felix, and then he tells it to Festus, and then he tells it to uh, King Agrippa. And you'll see that along the way. Paul recounts this time and time and time again. God is using this as a way for him. His, his, this is him giving his testimony. You know, how did he come to God? And he explains his conversion on the road to Damascus. How amazing that moment was that the, the light brighter than the sun shines down on him. And he hears a voice. And it's kind of interesting that it says only he could understand the, the, the voice the other people couldn't understand it, the other people with him. But I think sometimes God has that message just for us. But at the same time, think about it. Think about back to, you know, some of us have been Christians our entire lives. Some of us have uh, just kind of gone with the motions and, 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 and been there since we were children. Some of us were raised that way like me and fell away. And then we have to, come back we have to get you know return to that level where where we have that relationship with God and it took a it took a um a mind-blowing moment for me as well and with Paul you know he goes through and recounts that over and over and over again to use that as a witness to say this is what happened to me and this is why I believe. I think that that's just so cool. For me, it was a moment when I didn't, I was, I was a bad kid. I did everything that I could to stray away from God. I, I was so far replaced, so far, so far gone. I, you know, if, if you would have asked anybody around me, I was as far from a Christian as I could possibly be. I stole, I cheated. I was a, I was just a, I was a, bad kid for lack of a better word but when I was about I want to say I was 14 uh, I was in a, a private school 
and um, they had us. Um, they they would go on mission trips every oh, two to four years, something of that nature. I can't remember exactly how often, but um, they were going to go on a mission trip to Hong Kong and China, and you had to fill out these applications. And I obviously didn't want nothing to do with it. I'm like, why would I? Why would I do this? But my dad forced me to fill one out. And um, I knew they wouldn't take me because of who I was and, and how I was and the altercations I had at school, the people, all the different things that I, I, I was just not a missionary. I was not built that way. That was not for me. And I, by far, was the furthest from a missionary that you could imagine, kind of like Paul in a way, maybe not to the same level, where Paul is killing Christians and then is turned into the one that's making, you know, saving, uh, not saving, but, you know, bringing the good word to everybody, planting that seed so they could be saved. So it's it was kind of that same kind of thing. I, I was not, I was not that person. I wasn't built that way. I wasn't made that way. So I fill out this application, I turn it in, and then I give it to, um, I give it, I turn it in, whatever, and I don't think twice about it. And then they do these interviews. And we go through, and they, they bring everybody in who put an application in, and they they uh, do an interview with you. And they ask you a couple questions, a couple things, and I just, I'm in there like, whatever. It doesn't, you know, shh, whatever. And um, the, it's a pastor at the school. He taught all the religion classes that was doing the interviews. And he looks at me, he goes, I don't like you. I don't think you should go on this trip. But you're going because we don't have enough guys. <laughs> so I kind of was dumbfounded, didn't know what to think. And, and I was kind of, I was really angry about it initially. And I, I don't want nothing to do with this. I don't want to be around, I, I don't want to be around a bunch of Bible thumpers and blah, blah, blah. It's just how I felt. I was, I had so much anger and hate inside me all the time. So when I go and, uh, and, uh, you know, after a while they give they're, they make us go to these little trainings, learn a little bit of Mandarin and Cantonese and things of that nature. And I go through this, this whole process and I start getting to the point where I'm getting to know the people that are going. I'm like, Oh, they're all right. You know, whatever it's, it's okay. And, and, um, I got really close to some of those people and they became good friends of mine. Uh, and people that I never would have hung out with otherwise because of the way I was. And, but, you know, I, I started in my mind thinking, you know, you know, I'll get to see another country. That's something cool. I, you know, I'm not really going for the mission trip side of it. I don't really, you know, care about that. But I'm, I'm going to go, you know, just because I'll get to see another country. So I was about, I think it was about six months of trainings and stuff like that on and off that we did some things. And then, um, you know, it finally comes time to go. We get on a plane, and I had never been on a plane before, but when you go from, I think we were out of Detroit to, like, Chicago to San Francisco, and my gosh, around the world to Hong Kong, that was a long flight. I think it was 18 hours, something like that. It was crazy. But uh, we get there. We do our thing, um, you know, kind of the first, uh, but the first couple days, this group of kids gets bust in that are these, these uh, uh 
these kids from Hong Kong that are about our ages and, and we get to meet these kids and, and hang out with them and they are they just want to know about God so bad they want to know about God they're just so hungry for it and it's just amazing to me to see their hunger their their desire and um, I uh, you know they're asking me questions right and left about uh, all sorts of different biblical things. But because I was raised in the church and went to Sunday school every Sunday, I was just answering, giving them the Sunday school answers. You know, oh, yeah, the flood. Oh, you know, Adam and Eve. Yep. Uh, Jonah. Yep. I was just telling them. And I guarantee I did not have the fire <laughs> behind the answers that God would have loved me to have. But I didn't know God's plan at the time. I didn't see how it was going to come into full fluition. Uh, you know, often, you know, we always hear the, the terminology, God works in mysterious ways. Well, this is definitely one of those mysterious ways because it doesn't make sense. But we spent a few days with these kids, and I got close to these kids. I mean, they were they were good guys. We, we, they kind of paired us up. You know, the girls had a few girls with each person. The guy had a few guys with each person. And we got to know that group and that group stayed with us. And we went on little tours and did a little bit of, um, missionary work per se. We went, um, to a couple different places and, and would hand, you know, hand out things and talk to people and, 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 you know, just kind of do what you would do on a mission trip. And, um, you know, like I said, I didn't think much about it. I just thought it was cool to be in Hong Kong, which was an amazing city. This is the year before, I think this is the last year. It was either 96 or, it was I think it was 96 we were there, but it was right before Great Britain uh, relinquished control back to China. Um, it was like the year before, I think. So we... Uh, thought it was pretty cool and that, you know, whatever. Those kids end up leaving and they have to go back and study for this test. And this test they take determines what they're going to be for the rest of their life. It could, it could be the difference between, uh, uh, you know, being um, an astrophysicist or being homeless. I mean, that's the difference that this, this test meant to them. So, this was huge. This is their whole life. So if you had uh, test anxiety, you weren't going to do well over there. But anyway, the these kids leave. They go and they're studying for this test. Um, we're there. I want to say we were there for almost two weeks. or Maybe it was a little less than a week and a half or something. But then we, we went into China for a couple days and went to a few places. And we, we saw things that I couldn't believe how poor how oh, um, we were in southern China in Canton or Guangzhou, depending on if you speak um, Mandarin or Cantonese. But um, it was so poor. Anybody who thinks that they have nothing has no idea what nothing is. When these people, literally, we, we made this uh, rice and this chow mein type stuff, and we put it in boxes. I don't know if we made 100, 150 of them and started taking them around this city. And the city was, you could tell that, like, there's no public works. Like, they don't go and clean the streets. They don't, they just don't do it. And when I'm not, I can't even make this up. It's one of the most unbelievable things I've ever seen. But the sides of the streets, the gutters in the sides of the streets and the roofs of the buildings were just covered in, 
heroin needles just covered i mean covered it was so sad it was so surreal to see something that even if you put it in a movie no one would believe it was real i've ne- i just i can't even i can still see it in my head but it's just when we were there we weren't allowed to take any pictures in china cuz you'd get arrested blah 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 all these different things so but we went around and we we would go and help and give this food to these people that just just felt so awful for them. But then they'd witness to these people and they'd tell these people, you know, here, this is your savior. This, you know, you can, you can find peace. You can find this if you, if you, you know, rely on Jesus. And, you know, I, I'm still kind of like, just like, whatever, just kind of going through the motions. Like I, not that I don't like helping people. I just, I don't want anything to do with, with God. So we go through this. We, go back and forth there's a bunch of other crazy little stories that happen here and there um the part of china we were in one time we were in a bus and i didn't go inside and i actually fell asleep my head against the window i was parked on the street and when i woke up there was i don't know seven or eight chinese people just staring up at me because i don't know if they've ever seen somebody with blonde hair before it was unbelievable it's just we were in such a part of china that was so underdeveloped and, and very 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 poor um but we ended up leaving China and going back to the other place that we were staying at back in Hong Kong. And we um, were there for a couple more days. And the, one of the last couple of days we were there, the the original kids that we had, had been in groups with for the first few days came back. And, um, you know, they're, they're just coming to say goodbye and say, you know, say thank you and all these different things. They brought us little gifts, you know, uh, like just just interesting little things, little origami and all these different things that that, um, uh, that was really cool. Just really nice. These, these They just were such loving, friendly, um, welcoming people. And uh, but the one kid. um he went by the name Eric while I was there because I don't think I could have pronounced his first name, but Eric didn't show up on the last day and he left a note uh, with, for one of the other kids to give to me. And this kid gave me the note, oh, Eric can't be here, he's studying for that test. But here's this note, and I open it up, and note bas- basically says... Thank you so much for coming. It was so good to get to know you. And thank you because of you, I know that I'm going to heaven. Because because of you, I, I have a good relationship with Jesus. And I broke down. It hit me all at once. It was that same, almost, I mean, same moment Paul had where all of a sudden it's like God just smacked me and said, hey, this is, this is what it's really all about. And I, I mean, in all, I'd been baptized in the past. I had, you know, I'd gone through church, everything, but that was the moment that I knew, I knew I needed God. That was the moment that everything changed, just like for Paul. Not everybody has a 
an aha moment exactly like that or something similar. But we can all say that we know we can feel when God's talking to us. We know we can feel when we're doing God's will. We know that God truly cares for us. And you can feel that when you give him a chance, when you let him in, when you pray, when you when you you know, it, it says, you know, knock or, or that Jesus is knocking on the door and anybody who answers and lets him in, he will sup with them. Meaning, you know, just let Jesus in and he will be there. But you got to meet him halfway. It, But God really <laughs> had to send me on a mission trip for me to be saved. Exact, exact opposite of what you would imagine. But God had to send me on a mission trip for me to be saved. And ever since then, it's, it's, you know, I, I've had my ups and downs. We all have. I'm by no stretch perfect. None of us are. I make mistakes daily. But I know that I have that hope. I know that my faith in Jesus and the fact that he died for me on the cross is going to get me to heaven because of what he did, not because of anything I've done other than accept him. Every other religion around the world, you have to work hard to, to you know, do something to please a God or to gain enlightenment or to do these different things. Jesus is just like, hey, talk to me. I'm right there. Just I'm knocking. You just got to open the door. It, it's it's so easy and so hard all at the same time. But I'm gonna tell you, if you take the time, you read His Word, get to know your gospel, and God will speak to you. It won't be in ways that you anticipate. God speaks to me every day, sometimes right through, and most of the time right through his word when I'm reading. And and a lot of times he moves me spiritually in, in a different way too. But you just, you have to, you have to have that relationship with him because there's things in life that I've gone through that I don't, I couldn't have gone through without that. I don't know how people can experience loss and not have a hope that they're going to see that person again in heaven. I don't know how they do that. I don't know how people cope. But because I know that I'm saved, and I know that those ones that I love are saved, that I'll see them again. But that should also light a fire for all those people out there that you know aren't saved. I want to see them again, too. That's our calling. That's the whole point of Acts. That's what we're supposed to do. We are supposed to reach those other people. That's the whole goal, the whole mission, the Great Commission. We need to reach those people. Anyway, that was a big, big side note. Um <laughs> in this uh as we're going along and that was in the um 
kind of hedging off Paul talking about his testimony. Um, and the the other thing is, and this kind of reminds me a little bit, not quite the same way, but when Paul starts, he's still doing his, he's still talking in his speech. He's speaking to the the Jewish people in Aramaic, and and he says that God sent him to the Gentiles. And as soon as that happens, the crowd starts shouting. And the uproar begins again. So Paul is taken back to the he's taken back to the the fort there. The he's he's chained and he started to be whipped and, and then he goes, Hey, I'm a Roman citizen. You can't you can't punish me without a trial, which was which is kind of interesting. He pulls that card right then. Paul always kind of seems to know how to play his cards. Um, and I do believe that's the Holy Spirit in him. That's God in him. And if you look at this as we go a little further, you'll see a little more um, how that happens. But the next day, Paul spoke with the high council. And this, this is where we start in chapter 23. It says, and looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. You are sitting to judge me according to the law, yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck. Then those who stood by would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, when Paul perceived, now this, is, this part's awesome. I think this is really cool. When Paul perceived that one part was Sadducees and the other was Pharisees, he cried out to the council. So first of all, Paul's he was a Pharisee, but he understands that there's multiple Jewish sects that are there. Um, you don't see the the Essenes, but or the Essenes, but um, it says you know you don't see those as often. Uh, a more mystic sect of Judaism, a little bit smaller than the other two, but the Pharisees and Sadducees were kind of the ones that were the the religious leaders there at that time. He said, brothers, I am a Pharisee, a son of Pharisees, and it is with respect to the hope, remember that First Peter 3.15, and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. That's pretty interesting. You know, we, like I said, there's three major different sects of, um, of uh, uh, the, the Jewish leaders as far as the Jewish religious leaders with the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes. Um, but uh, it's pretty interesting to me, and I, I, this is something I want to look into further, but the Sadducees didn't believe in a resurrection, um, an angel, or a spirit. So... I'm really interested to see how they, why they didn't interpret those things when they were reading uh, 
um, parts of the Torah and things of that nature. But I, that's something that for uh, that we have to dive into another day. But it's also interesting to see the Pharisees believed in all those things. So Paul knew when to throw this in there just to cause dissension. He took the attention off himself and had them arguing with each other. And at that point, Paul's taken back to the fortress. And this is really cool. That night, the Lord appeared to him. Could you imagine? Sitting there on the couch watching Sunday night football. All of a sudden, there's somebody sitting next to you on the couch. Hey, this is, this is what you're going to do. Man, it would make it easier in some respects, but so much harder than another, but in, in others. But just to know that you you saw the Lord, that he appeared to you and was telling you what to do, it just it it, it has to make Paul feel like I've, there's there's no there's no turning back. There's never any turning back. And you never saw that in him either, but it says the Lord said to him, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, you must testify also in Rome. Now, the crazy part about this, and if you look in the way, and we won't get all to it today, but as you look through the word, you'll see how much that little uh, prophecy, uh, for lack of a better word, that Jesus is telling him, you know, he's, he's giving him the foresight to say that he's going to do this in Rome. And we see every little path that leads him to that point is just, it's just so cool because every little step, and it takes him, it takes him a little bit to get there. It takes him a couple of years to get there, um, over a couple of years, but every step along the way pushes him further and further. And he's once again, like I said, reciting his testimony, his testimony being his most powerful part of his witness. He's using his testimony to explain why all these things have happened, he, why he is where he is. Like, he's using his testimony to explain and defend the hope that he has. I think that's just such an interesting way, a cool way of looking at it. That's the thing that gets people. That's the thing that 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 people want to have. You know, it, for them, it's so easy for us to to. Uh, I should say easy, but we can witness to somebody. We can tell somebody, but until that person sometimes has some kind of experience, ah, whatever. That's just that. It will never happen to me. That's nothing. That's not real. But when you see this and you have one of those experiences showing that and sharing that with people who know you, who know that you're not lying, that that's truth coming out of your mouth, that might be the, the seed that you need to plant so that they can have a moment where they come to God as well. So I, I just think that there's so many different things here underlying that show us, as, as we've said with all of Acts, how we're supposed to live. So pretty interesting. But... um. Uh, shortly thereafter that, and the first step that leads him to Rome, which is really cool, is Paul's nephew actually overhears that there's a group of men who wanted Paul dead so bad they made a vow not to eat or drink anything until he was killed. 
I wonder how seriously I took that vow since he didn't die for, you know, a while after that. So <laughs> they were going to set a trap for him. What they were going to do is have the have the um, Romans send him back to the temple for further questioning and set a trap on the way and kill him on the way back. But Paul's nephew comes, and Paul tells him to go tell that to the commander, and the commander's like, well, can't have this happen, so they leave that night. They, or I'm sorry, he, he sends him to uh, Felix, the governor, um, and then he waits there for his accusers to come to actually bring him uh, to court there. So just think that's so cool. Um, you know, we look at the amazing faith of Paul. He always did exactly what God wanted him to do uh, you know, after his conversion, even though he knew it could cost him his life. I mean, it is, it's, a, it's a total 180 from his younger years. He went from the persecutor to the persecuted. Persecutor to the persecuted. Let's see, that sounds better. Um, just, just find that fascinating. Now, I want to jump back, and I, I skipped over it a little bit, but I'm going to bring it back up. If we go back to chapter 22, verse 38, and this is kind of a side note, but I always find something interesting if I can find something that uh, is a little different, is a little out there. Um, when he's asking the commander, and I said he talked to him in Greek, and then he addressed the people in Aramaic, but when he talked to them in Greek, they were surprised that he was able to speak Greek. And, and then the commander says to him, Are you not the Egyptian then who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 men of the assassins out into the wilderness? And Paul refutes this. He's not. He just says who he is, where he's from. So I just think it's interesting they throw this verse in here. It just says about the Egyptian. So we see this. And then it doesn't mention that further in the text. But um, it does say, if you go, it's interesting, if you go into Matthew 24, 24 to 26, it says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I have told you in advance so if they say to you, Behold, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or behold, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe them. Interesting they use the same word wilderness, that it talks about taking the assassins to the wilderness. So I find that pretty interesting. But we can go even a little further and look at Josephus, which pretty cool when you think about uh, Josephus, uh, the the early, you know, first uh, century historian um, who, you know, had his finger on the pulse of these things. He says he has a he has two different uh, works that bring this up. Uh, first, in the antiquity of the Jews. He says, moreover, there came out of Egypt about this time to Jerusalem, one that said he was a prophet and advised the multitude of common people to go along with him to the Mount of Olives. It was called, as it was called, which lay over against the city, and at a distance of five furlongs. He said further, 
that he would show them from hence how, at his command, the walls of Jerusalem will fall down. And he promised them that he would procure for them an entrance into the city through these walls when they were fallen down. Now Felix was informed of these things, and he ordered his soldiers to take their weapons and came against them with a great number of horsemen and footmen from Jerusalem and attacked the Egyptian and the people that were with him. He also slew 400 of them and took 200 alive, but the Egyptian himself escaped out of the fight, but did not appear anymore. And again, the robbers stirred up the people to make war with the Romans and said they ought not obey them at all. And when any persons would not comply with them, they set fire to their villages and plundered them. Now that's Josephus, uh, uh, Antiquity of the Jews, Antiquities of the Jews, sorry. So we see a reference to the Egyptian. We also see a reference to Felix was the one that sent the soldiers out to attack them. And we also see that the governor Felix is who Paul went to at that time. So apparently, I mean, it's, there's a pretty good correlation here. Uh, in another one of his works called the wars of the Jews, it says, but there was an Egyptian false prophet that did the Jews more mischief than the former. For he was a cheat and pretended to be a prophet also, and got together 30,000 men that were deluded by him. These he led round about from the wilderness to the mount, which is now called the Mount of Olives, and was ready to break into Jerusalem by force from that place. And if he could but once conquer the Roman garrison and the people, he intended to domineer over them by the assistance of those guards of his that were to break into the city with him. But Felix prevented his attempt and met him with Roman soldiers, while all the people assisted him in his attack upon them, insomuch that when it came to the battle, the Egyptian ran away with a few others, while the greatest part of those that were with him were either destroyed or taken alive. But the rest of the multitude were dispersed, every one to their own homes, and there concealed themselves." That once again talking about Felix and an Egyptian false prophet, and we're talking about this is not long after you know this is in Paul's lifespan. We're talking first century still, and there's already these false prophets that are leading people astray into the wilderness, just as it warned in Matthew. You see it right there, plain as day, and it's just such a uh, it's so cool to see this correlation. That with the biggest discrepancy, I guess, just being the number of people, where biblically it said 4,000, and then the first account of Josephus said uh, 400 were slain and 200 took alive, but the other one said 30,000 that he had gathered. Um, I'm not sure where the numbers, you know, if that's just an embellishment or if that's a, I'm not sure, but everything else seems to line up when it talks about Felix uh, the Egyptian false prophet. We're talking about Jerusalem, the Mount of Olives, uh, still the Romans. It's just a lot of um, uh, things that coincide there. And I, so always love seeing these things that are in, in non-biblical books that add credence to the Bible. When you see these other accounts that always point back to showing biblical truth, just just keep showing more and more proof. It's just amazing. So in the meantime, guys, just keep looking in your Bible. Keep digging. Keep looking into God's Word. And 
always be able to defend a reason for the hope that you have. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Dig Bible Podcast. Don't be like a county worker. Get in that hole and dig some. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and check out our YouTube channel. See ya.